Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid co-host, Courtney K. <sighs> Courtney, how's it going, my friend? <laughs> my fabulous Fallon. Um, how is it going? <laughs> it's just a whirlwind, I feel like, at all times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel uh, like I know we are both still feeling the effects of COVID, even though it has been a couple weeks now, but shitty. Yeah. It really is just like kicking my butt. Yeah. Yeah. Do you kind of feel, I feel like I'm in entering a season where (laughs) I'm just need to be like a little more gentle with myself. Yes. I feel that too. And I um, was telling Matt today, I was just like looking at my to-do list for this week and I just, I'm like so overwhelmed with everything. Mm, Um, And a lot of that is like self-imposed, you know, like Mm. I have a couple deadlines that like I need to get done, but for a lot of it, it's just like things that I'm putting on myself. um, Mm. And I need to, need to be a little bit better about that. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm in the same place as you because I really want to get this proposal done. Yeah. And in, and I'm working on other projects that I really want to get done, but, nobody's putting a deadline on me. Right. You know, it's like right. that publishing fear of, oh my God, if I don't finish it, um, I'm going to like disappear or, you know, yeah, you know, and Helena Greer actually said to me, um, she's so amazing. And she's like, where is that pressure coming from? Like, is it, you know, the corporate wheel or is it like, is it valid? And do you actually need to pay attention to that? Or can you let yourself enjoy the process of creating, Yeah, you know, before you get back into another contract, another deadline? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I feel that. <laughs> I think it's like part of the publishing <clears throat> machine. It's just how it functions, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and it's like, um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, but I am next year, like tapering off from weddings so that I can yeah. only have one full-time job, mm-hmm. which sounds amazing. And, and is not something I have done for myself in like years and years and years. Um, but because of that, I am like feeling a lot of pressure to mm. create quickly because I'm like, if I'm going to make this work, like financially, I need to be in a place where we can do that. And I think, you know, a lot of that uncertainty just comes with the way that authors are paid or not paid. And it's hard. It's hard to, um, it's hard to give yourself grace in those moments, I think. Yeah. Because I think it's just like, uh, you know, function of the machine that we're constantly Mm -hmm. looking, comparing, you know, every day there's new announcements, there's new things happening. And like both things can be true that you are so happy for your fellow creatives. And then also feel this sense of like a little bit of panic for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, or a little bit of like, Oh God. Um, I think that's very normal, you know? And I, I don't know how to deal with that yet. But yeah. I'm learning, like I'm learning to just be kind of, I think even just being aware of it is good. Like, yeah, 
oh, have yeah, myself for sure. or just being aware of like, hey, where is this coming from? This feeling of needing to rush. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and this, the pressure when you don't actually have a deadline is um, something mm-hmm. that it takes a bit of time to get used to, I think. Yeah. 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 Mm. Speaking of panic, I had a full on <laughs> mini meltdown this weekend. Let's and I wanted to, I know, I wanted to chat about it because I know that we have had many conversations with debut authors in particular mm-hmm. where we always talk about don't read your reviews. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to chat about it because I feel like it's so easy to say that. Yeah it's easy for me to give that advice to somebody else. Um, and I totally thought going into right on cue that I would not need to even look at a single review and I like, wouldn't care. And then it went up on neck alley and I was like, Oh shit, no, wait, I do care. And I went and I did the bad thing and I read some of the reviews and there aren't that many yet. Um, obviously it's only been out on that galley for a few days, but it totally just like fucked with my head and I needed to finish writing book four this weekend. I needed to finish my draft and I just found that really hard to do when I had this sort of like negativity, like cycling in my brain Um, and so I did the thing you're supposed to do and I put it out into our little writers chat group that we have. Uh, and of course everybody immediately is like, stop reading your reviews. What are you doing? No, (laughs) as I knew they would, but also they then talked me down and, you know, gave me a lot of good feedback and, and real things. Um, but of course that initial reaction is just like, no, just don't do it. Um, but it's really hard. And I think that that is maybe what people don't understand is that in particular at this point in time, the only people who have really read this book are my team. So my editor Mm -hmm. and, you know, my publicist and things like that. And they don't give me (laughs) negative reviews, you know? Um, and so when your book is first going out in the world, it is really, really difficult to not want to check in and see how it is being received. Yeah. Um, because you don't have trade reviews yet. You don't have numbers yet. You don't have any other metric other mm-hmm. than people are reading your book and giving their opinions on it. Um, and that's really difficult. And I really struggled with it. And I didn't think that I was going to. Uh, so it kind of like snuck up on me this time and it, it was not great. It was not great. And net galley is a tricky one because I think it's much easier for us to be like, okay, well don't check Goodreads. It's kind of like the open internet, right? The open waters. So it's easier (laughs) to be like, stay away. Yeah. Net galley is trickier for, I think our author brains because a lot of trade professionals are on net galley. So you want to see, like, how are the booksellers receiving it? The librarians, the, you know, trade reviewers, like, um, media people. But as time has gone on, 
it has become a little bit of the open waters on that guy. Yeah. It's like you do have just to continue with this metaphor. You do have to tread carefully <laughs> because it's like, um, you know, <sighs> reviews are. I know they say reviews are for readers and they are because there's nothing we can do at this point to change anything in our book. And it's something that it it like broke my heart for my own self because I was so proud of what I had achieved. It was so incredibly difficult. I loved the book and I was like, Oh my God, this is like, I see how far I've come as a writer, as a person, like with this book, and I'm just so proud of it. The second I started checking reviews, that pride and joy started to diminish, right? Yeah. And then you kind of start feeling ashamed, like, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe I shouldn't have been proud of it. Maybe it really is bad. But just because one reader has an opinion on your on this artwork right because that's what it is it's a piece of art that anybody can have a subjective view on um like that their opinion doesn't diminish your feeling of pride like it doesn't need to because they're two very different things yeah you know you created this work of art you created this book and when you reach the point when you're done it's like the best feeling. Yeah. And so however somebody wants to receive that, whatever they're coming to the work with, like any sort of, you know, precon, pre- what's it called? Pre- preconceived. Preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Thank you. My <laughs> brain, if you can't tell, it's kind of like still COVID. <laughs> yes. Same. <laughs> it's like on track for a second and then I lose it. Um, but anyway, like whatever they're coming to the book with, like there's there's all these things that make it so subjective for people. They could have read the uh, cover copy and and expected one thing and they got another. Like in their opinion, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's like I know we know all that. Yeah. But yeah. then in the moment, it's there's this feeling of like, oh gosh, I should check. I know, and I don't I don't know how I don't know how we eventually move on from that or overcome that maybe it's just part of it I just hope it is something that I do eventually move on from um because I mean I will say like the urge to read reviews has definitely lessened with like each book and like I'm not tempted to go on goodreads anymore like that yeah the nail was in that coffin a long time ago (laughs) and that is progress and I, but I think honestly, like, had I logged on to NetGalley this weekend and seen positive reviews, I would still be checking them. Yeah, the still only reason that I'm you. not is that I didn't like what I saw. And that was, I don't know, it sort of like caught me off guard because I struggled so much writing just my type. Mm-hmm. And I did not have that struggle with write on cue. Like, it, Mm-hmm. was one of my favorite things to write. Like, I love these characters so much. I love this book. And so to see that not reflected in these first initial rounds of feedback was like, oh, 
shit. And it Mm -hmm. like really, especially then as I had to turn around and go write another book, I was like, oh, well, obviously I don't have any taste level at all because (laughs) I thought this book was great and apparently it's not. Well, and not to take any like credibility away from reviewers, (laughs) but you have to look at the sample size and you have to be like, okay, I mean, I mean, how many reviews? Not many. Um, Yeah. It was like seven. Out of all the readers, all (laughs) the readers in all the world. It's like, you can't take that super small sample size and be like, oh, well, this is, this is what it is because it's, it's not. And you will have those raving reviews and even those get in your head and kind of mess with you. Cause you're like, well, what if I want to do something different? You know? Yeah. Am I going to live up to these standards? It's like, you cannot win. You cannot win with reviews as an author. Yeah. And that is one thing I think that gets harder as you go is you have people that are now like, oh my God, I loved your books or I loved these first two. And you're like, okay, cool. Like I really (laughs) hope that that continues. Um, And maybe it won't, you know, like I, feel like I have changed a lot as a writer. Um, yeah. I can't say too much about book four yet, but it's completely different from anything I've done. And like, that's another thing that's hard. I think maybe about this book is that with right on cue is like so many times I get messages and DMS that are like, Oh, I can't wait for more like text message combos or Slack combos. And I'm like, well, cool. This book doesn't have that. So <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and not to say that I like won't ever do that again, but it just, you know, I, I, I loved those things about Lise and just my type too, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they fit with every single book um, and every single story. And so, you know, you have to do what's right for that story in particular. And that can be a little bit tricky when people are like really latched on to this one thing that you do and then you stop doing that. And then it's like, cool (laughs) but I think too and to like speak some truth through all the worry is like what readers are are saying through that is they love your voice and they love the dialogue and they love your banter and that's going to exist in any format you know it's you it's a Fallon Ballard story and so your readers are going to love it and trust you through that new narrative no matter what and so I know it can be like, I think it's just like part of being creative and being worried and also being like a little bit of a people pleaser. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, it's and like also being that perfectionist student and like wanting to please everybody. And, um, and there's nothing like there are useful elements to those things, right? Like it, it pushes us to keep creating and it pushes Mm -hmm. us to like want to create a better product and um like develop our skill sets but like then there's the downside of it that you know where we get into our head like like we do yeah so I think I don't know like it's just this whole big mush of feelings and it's hard to decipher but I think in the end it's like we just want to create a product that people love but the thing is 
the people who love it, like that's who it's meant for. Right. You know? Yeah. That's who it's meant for. Yeah. And (laughs) I need to remind myself because as you're saying that, I'm like, well, what if nobody loves it? (laughs) I know. There's always that side of our brain. But what's important with this one is that I love it. And I haven't always been able to say that in the past. Um, And so I need to, I need to keep that in mind uh, as we go further along and more and more people read it. Yeah. Uh, And kind of like protecting that joy as much as you can. Yeah. Because I don't want, and I think that is what was so difficult about this at first is that I, I feel that love so greatly that I just sort of assumed that other people would as well. But in the long run, their feelings about it don't need to change my feelings about it. Right. You know, my feelings about it can still be what they are and what they have been for the years that I have been working on this book. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to just talk about it because I don't ever want people to listen and think like, oh, (laughs) we're perfect and we don't do all of these things because we advise other people not to do these things. And I just think it's important that you know that it's okay to slip up and it's okay to do things that you know you shouldn't do. Um, And it happens to everybody. You know, we all sort of like fall prey to that at some points in time. Uh, And none of us are perfect and we're all just doing our best. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the reason why we advise other people not to check reviews is because we know how painful it is. Like it's from personal experience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So don't read your reviews. (laughs) Yeah. And if you do, you know, go to a friend and talk about it. Like you don't have to hold it in. You don't have to like suffer through it alone. And maybe there are other ways that can give you that sort of satisfaction of, Mm -hmm. okay, like, for example, with book two, um, okay, sorry, book one had gone through so many CPs, so many friends had read it. And so there was this solid foundation when it went out into the world that I felt like I could stand on, like a support system. Book two, the only other person who had read it was my editor and not Mm -hmm. that I didn't trust her but it was a very different feeling of like okay I have all my friends around me I have all of my you know CPs that I've worked on this with and so I was not able to rely on their feedback you know and so there was that part of me that was like really anxious like did I miss something did I so part of me checking those reviews was like kind of seeing feedback for the first time a yeah. wi- wider scope of feedback yeah so maybe something that is helpful too is to send your manuscript even if you don't get a chance to send it until it's on NetGalley or until it is like in past pages or whatever send it to a friend yeah. you know and obviously like there's nothing you can change about it but be like tell me the stuff that you that you enjoy about it Right. Give me a cheerlead read. Like, yes, yeah. do, do something that will like help me grasp on. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. We all need that. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Well, thank you for listening to me. 
multiple times now that you've had to uh, <laughs> walk me back from completely losing it. Oh my god, you've uh, had to do the same for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully, if you're out there listening and you are a writer, you know that we're all struggling with these same things. So yeah. And for yeah. readers, we love you. And like the author reader relationship yes. is so precious. And there's also like certain spaces that are just for readers. And like, yeah. we acknowledge that and accept it. And we're trying to do our best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you won't catch me on Goodreads. That's for sure. No. <laughs> NetGalley is the hard one. NetGalley is the hard one. Yes. NetGalley is tough. Um, but we're doing the best we can. And we have an amazing episode today with the most incredible guest. Yes, oh my um, God. Ugh, so good. Um, so we're chatting with Victoria Lee about her new adult romance, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, Shot in the dark. Ugh, so good. Brilliant. So, brilliant. Yes. So we will be right back with Victoria. Hello, happy to meet cute listeners. Um, we are so happy to have you all back today. And uh, I sound like a school teacher. That's fine. Um, we have an amazing guest with us today that we are so excited to chat with. Victoria Lee grew up in Durham, North Carolina, where she attended an art school and played piano competitively. She has a PhD in psychology, which she uses to overanalyze fictional characters and also herself. Lee is the author of A Lesson in Vengeance, as well as The Fever King and its sequel, The Electric Air. She lives in New York City with her partner, child, and two overzealous but adorable pets. <laughs> Yay, Victoria, oh. I'm so excited to have you with us. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we hope that the overzealous pets make an appearance because yeah. we love that. <laughs> One of the overzealous pets is currently under the kitchen table, staring at me mournfully. <laughs> I love that. Is that pet a cat? <laughs> that pet is a dog. Oh! <laughs> um, Courtney's cat will occasionally jump up and actually mute her microphone. Yeah. While we're... <laughs> yeah. That's when I know I've spoken too much. <laughs> I think that. my cat is like asleep under the couch we'll see how long he stays there <laughs> i love that both of your pets are just like chilling under furniture <laughs> well my dog loves to either be under the bed or under the table or in the nursery one of those three spots you can always find them oh staring that. at I you like I why spend... aren't you petting me yes my <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> um all right well you have written like one of the books that has hooked me, I told Courtney before we started recording, like I started reading the uh, arc of a shot in the dark and like, I could not stop. Like I just blew through it because I couldn't put it down. Um, it's incredible. So can you uh, please tell our listeners a little bit about the book? Yeah. So a shot in the dark is my first adult romance. It's about this girl named Ellie who is you know, returning to New York City after she's been away for eight years, uh, she used to struggle with substance abuse and now she's clean and sober, coming back to study photography at this prestigious arts program under this guy named Wyatt Cole, who's like very reclusive, but extremely talented and famous. And so she gets there 
And her first night back in town, she goes and she has this super hot one night stand with this sexy trans guy. And the next morning she shows up at her program and that is her teacher. It's the guy that she came there to study with. So the whole book is basically about like the two of them and they're back and forth and yearning and uh, dealing with like being in recovery and their estrangement from their families of origin, as well as discovering new found families. Um, I am <clears throat> obsessed with Wyatt. Like it's an issue. It's, it's an actual <laughs> issue that Wyatt is a fictional character. Um, I, I felt hard. I felt hard that. and I felt fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I was thank you. To Courtney. I was like, Oh, it's just like the beginning in particular of the book. It just like really hooks you. It's like super sexy and steamy, like right off the bat. And you just like dive right in. And then there's just so much angst, yeah. like overdrive <laughs> yeah. of angst. And it just, it it's so perfectly. Uh, if you are that angsty person where they really just are this whole time, like fighting their feelings for each other, which is just, ugh, just, Give it to me. Give it. Give me all the angst. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't angsty, would it be one of my books? Like, I just, I can't resist. I've tried to write, like, happy, fluffy stuff before, and, like, it literally just always turns out to be completely over-the-top dramatic. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, well, thank you for your service. <laughs> of course. Do you want to um, speak to like the inspiration behind this novel or the writing process or whatever you want to like behind the scenes you want to share? Yeah. So I guess the very first thing that started this book was my agents sending me an email in like 11 o'clock at night. Um, I remember I was like watching TV and I get this message and I'm like telling my partner, like, hold on, it's my agents. You know, it's like almost midnight. Maybe something's wrong. Oh, No. It was them being like, so we watched this TikTok and we think that you should write a book that's like this TikTok. <laughs> and the TikTok was basically like a hot non-binary person talking about like, you know, how, you know, the first time you have sex with a non-binary person, it's just like, you get to like come again and again and again. Cause like, <laughs> they actually know what um, AFAB people desire. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I will write this. And then I just kind of like smushed together two existing story ideas that I had that were completely half-baked. And like, they just, you know, they were at that stage where I had like a couple of songs on my playlist for each of them, but nothing else really developed. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I can make use of both of these ideas in this TikTok book and the draft of the book on my desktop for the longest time was just called TikTok book. <laughs> oh my God. That's the greatest origin story I've ever heard. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, like I every feel... other book I write, I have this big philosophical intro about what made me inspired <laughs> for is like themes. And here I'm just like, Oh, it's a hot TikTok. <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, yes, I feel like you serve that up right away in your in your novel so thank you tiktok <laughs> really good really excellent how so um i have been a big fan of your ya work for a long time and um how do you feel like going into adult now 
I know um, it's, I know I say that, but like, it's still publishing, but how, like writing for an adult audience, I don't know yeah. how to phrase the question, but how, how are you doing? How are you feeling? <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like all three of my YA books were pretty crossover. Like they kind of were fairly mature and dark. So in some ways it feels very similar just with like certain differences, like the sex scenes are hotter, the pace, like you have a little bit more leeway, like you can write a longer book, like all these different like mechanical things um, that are specific to the industry. But I don't know. I'm also just excited because I mean, also when you move from YA to adult, you kind of get this allowance to write differently in terms of like theme and genre. So getting to write a romance as opposed to like, you know, something speculative is fun. Not that I don't love speculative fic. I still do. Um, my heart was born there. Part of it will always stay there. But it's nice to be like, okay, the thing that I always loved most about writing sci-fi and fantasy and horror is this romantic subplot that's existed in all of my books. So here I just kind of get to put that front and center and don't have to worry too much about magic systems or world building because it's just like all right here are these characters now I just get to sit here and wallow in them yes <laughs> they are the magic <laughs> exactly they are um yeah and I think that that is probably like what stood out to me so much about this book is that these characters feel like so realistically flawed mm -hmm. and I feel like that's a really hard thing to do as a writer is sort of create these dynamic characters where they have, you know, real issues and real problems that don't like feel trivial and still taking them through that journey to where, you know, they are like experiencing growth and change throughout the course of the book. Um, so I just want to, mostly I want to be like, teach me your ways. How do you do that? <laughs> but <laughs> like, what is kind of your process for building your characters? Like, how do you, how do you, what foundation do you kind of start with there? Uh, oh man. So a few different things. I would say that for one or one way that I come up with these character flaws is thinking about what's going to conflict the most with the plot or like in this case with the romance. Um, and I mean, so in one respect, their character flaws are complementary. Like, it's part of what draws them together. In other respects, it's what keeps them apart. Like, Wyatt, for example, has this complicated sense of personal ethics that are drawn from his own childhood trauma that may or may not, like, make sense to anyone else, including Ellie. Um, so that's part of it. Another part of it is just thinking about, like, okay, me as a person, or my partner, or my best friend, like, these are all people that you love i mean hopefully you love yourself too right um but you probably know what all of these people's worst qualities are and so i don't know approaching characters the way that i think about myself my friends my partner just as like these complicated people who have a lot of likable things about them but also you know a couple of unlikable things and making sure that i include something like that in all of my characters too Yes. Do you mind if I ask, do you have a personal interest in photography? So I do have a DSLR and I went through this phase where I took a lot of photos with it, but I have not broken that thing out. In it must be two years. 
Amazing. Yeah. Part of that's because like iPhone cameras are so good now. Like, so I good. still love to take a lot of photos. It's just like, I don't know, like portrait mode exists. Oh, portrait <laughs> mode. I love it. And they're so accessible because it's just right in your pocket. <laughs> right. Like I used to lug that camera around. Like I remember on my honeymoon, went hiking in Banff National Park and my ass was out there on top of a mountain with my massive DSLR and like my camera bag with all my lenses in it. It's just like, oh, <laughs> like it was, those photos are beautiful. But I never want to do that again. That's commitment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's a lot of it, work. Yeah. Was it fun to kind of re-explore um, that, the joy of photography through this book? It definitely made me want to go back. Like it made me more interested in trying to, I don't know, like, I'm mean, partly like with the DSLR, but even more than that, just with photo editing, I'm more interested in doing things like that. And I want to like, you know, my partner got me this massive photo printer for my birthday. And so I want to like start printing photos of my family or of places that we've been and frame them and put them on the walls because we don't really have any photos of any kind in our house. Like we have like a framed subway map of Manhattan and like, like our Ketuba and things like that, but no photos. So I'm definitely interested in like trying to edit some of our family photos and make them into printable quality. And I would say that's about the extent of it. Nice. Isn't it so interesting lately how it's like we take more photos Mm. than we ever have in any point in history before, but yet we don't actually print them and look at them and like enjoy them. It's like this very strange phenomenon because my house is the same way. Like the only photos I actually have printed are because my mother makes us do like staged family photos (laughs) every two years which is ridiculous in a lot of ways but it like they're truly the only pictures that we actually ever print out but like my phone is like chock full of you know photos of my kid but I never actually take the time to do anything with them exactly I mean just like like I will look back at photos of my kid but like all these pictures I take on vacations that don't have people in them. It's just like the landscape or the city. I don't think I like look back at any of these ever. Even if I'm looking back at pictures from a trip, I'm just like swipe, swipe, swipe. Oh, there's my friend. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Okay, look, here's me. So true. You're so right. Oh my God. <laughs> well, and then like my partner hates like being in photos. So I'm always like, well, you have to be because this is the only photo I'm going to look at for this whole trip. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. That I'm like thinking now. I'm like, how can I go and like actually do something with my pictures? It should I be know. a thing. I know. I'll do that. Yeah. Um. So when you okay, well, we got off on a little photo tangent there, <laughs> but I enjoyed every second of that, and I actually am like now thinking about like how I can make myself do something with my pictures. Um, but kind of diving back into characters, do you do, like, are you a person who like sits down and like, does like a character map and like fills out like those character questionnaire things? Or do you just sort of like have a picture of them in your mind and then kind of like dive in and, and let them do what they want to do? So I used to be one of these pictures who did the care pictures, one of these people, (laughs) 
um, who did the character questionnaires. And like, I remember being like 15 and just having one of those like 40 page questionnaires that I printed off some website somewhere. But these days, like Scrivener comes with those little character questionnaires. I always open them up with the best intentions and I'll like write out the name and the age and the birthplace. And then like, I never finish them. And even if I do add anything else, I never look at it ever again. Kind of like photos. Um, <laughs> so I've just mostly given up. I feel like I have, like, I have the plot written down for the most part. And then I have my like 300 song playlist, which I just listen to that. And I feel like all of the information I need to know about the character exists in my head. And then the playlist will remind me of anything I've forgotten. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's incredible. Love that. Yeah. Um, Um, I get so into the playlist. It's like the only thing I listen to when mm -hmm. I'm writing a book. Like my partner will be like, can we listen to anything else? Like anything else. (laughs) Like I have no idea what are like popular songs right now. I just, I'm only listening to these few on repeat, every shower, every dog walk ever. (laughs) I'm actually the same way because it's like the book. I don't know. It just kind of like seeps into your soul that way. Yeah. It just like ferments. Yes. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. people are like, how do you develop your plots? And I'm like, I don't know. I just listen to music until it all coalesces somehow. Oh my God. Amazing. So may I ask what like your, um, like a, t- a couple of the top songs for a shot in the dark. Oh man. Okay. I got to look this shit up. Just a sec. <laughs> you take- totally fine. No problem. We'll, right. cut out, we'll cut out the awkward pauses, so no big deal. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> like making an entire here it is. Okay, so back in town by Florence and the Machine. Yes. What other people say, especially the stripped version by Demi Lovato. Um. Antihero by Taylor Swift, and we'll say the Curse of the Blackened Eye by Orville Peck. Oh my Ooh. god, so good. Yes. I can feel the vibes in the <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> okay. So you use Scrivener? Is that yeah. what you draft in? Yes. Okay. I have heard so many like mixed opinions about Scrivener, but what is it about that that like works for you in particular? So I like that each scene is a different little document in it. So when I'm doing revisions, especially developmental revisions, I can just grab that scene and move it wherever I want. And then I can also see at a glance, like what the structure of the plot is. I can do the little color coding and see like which character or which subplot is involved. Like this is especially important for um, when I was writing The Electric Air, like I had color codes for what type of scene it was because I had like so many different little subplots going at once. And then I could look and be like, okay, I haven't brought up this subplot in a while. So maybe I should move this scene further up or like add a scene that at least touches on this. Um, So I feel like structurally it's good for me, especially when I'm editing. Oh, that sounds so cool. Okay. I'm kind of sold. Is it hard to learn? No, it's super easy. Oh, Like they come with these templates and like, I'll show you basically exactly what it's supposed to look like. And then I have a little document open in the research section. That's my outline. I have a little document in the same section. That's like things I want to make sure I include things to touch on in revision. 
So it's all just in the same spot. I don't really have to dig up a million notebooks. <gasps> hmm. That's Amazing. Smart. I'm still in the notebook phase where I like have a different notebook for each project that I'm working on. But like, that means that I have a stack of like 10 notebooks that just sit on my desk all the time and does drive me slightly insane. So that sounds very smart. I will say the downside of Scrivener is that I can't do that anymore because I love, I'm one of those people who buys notebooks and just doesn't ever use them. And so I have actively tried to stop writing all these notes in Scrivener so that I can use my notebooks, but it's just not as convenient. Victoria, we give you permission to buy notebooks just because they're pretty. Yeah, thank you. So many notebooks where it's like one month of bullet journaling in it, and then I stopped. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, me too. So true. <laughs> this is going to change my life next month. <laughs> it's on the dusty shelf. I mean, hey, whether you use it or not, it's still a tax write-off. So you know, That's business it. planning. That's it. That is definitely true. A good business decision. <laughs> this was a nice thing about when I was still in academia, though, was because I actually would use them. And I would write like all my to-do lists and all of my notes and seminars. And I still have all those notebooks and there's like 50 of them. And it's beautiful. <laughs> and I wish that I could create that. <laughs> so I feel all like right. this segues really well into our next topic, which yes. is time management. Yes. Um, so please uh, teach me because, no, this is like a huge personal struggle of mine always. Same. <laughs> so part of why I put that in my little like topics I could talk about is because I feel like I have terrible time management and I didn't used to. Um, and so maybe ah, I'm hoping to like workshop my own thought process or like my own problems by talking about this. Yeah, so good like, for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my little support group. Yes. So when I was still in academia, um, especially when I was in grad school, I feel like I was so busy. And so I had to fit all of my writing into like one or two hours a day. And so I would do all of my academic work. And then when it came time to writing, I was super motivated. And so I could just really focus on getting it done so that I could make progress on whatever book it was. And now that I'm a full-time writer, I thought I was going to be like some of my other friends who are full-time writers and just like pump out three books a year and write screenplays and short stories for anthologies. And instead I'm doing exactly as much work as I always did. I just spend way more time sitting around feeling guilty for not doing more. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I guess like the advice that I'm trying to give myself is that since I do find that I expand to fill the time that I have, I need to create more structure filling all of that time. So for example, like try and have like the mornings is when I do my best drafting. So maybe draft in the mornings and then um, do like some of the stuff I have to do for social media in the early afternoon and then prepare for new projects in the later afternoon. I feel like that's the only way I am going to get through this and actually be productive because I have learned that having this unstructured time where it's just like, oh, I'll do whatever I want to do as I feel inspired to do it is simply not working for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the same. And I know I like I really struggle with writing in the summer months because my kid is not in school and that like kind of throws off 
my like daily routine. And then when he is in school, it makes it so much easier because I'm sort of like welded into his schedule of, you know, I have to take him to school at this time. So then it leaves me these hours to work and then I have to pick him up. And then, you know, then my day becomes about homework and kids stuff. Um, But when I don't have his schedule to sort of dictate my schedule, like it's very difficult for me to get things done. I feel like my kid is young enough that it's the opposite still. So like, (laughs) you know, when he's at daycare, I just sit there and I'm like, so I have all this time to write. Mm -hmm. And then I don't. Whereas when he's home, it's like, all right, so he's awake right now. I have to entertain him, feed him, do all the things. And now he still naps three times a day, goes to sleep. Okay, this is my only chance to write. Yes, I remember those days. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely works better with my brain than having, like I said, completely unstructured. But this is going to change eventually, I am sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I So the pandemic changed a lot of like my day job structure for me in that I used to work like 40 plus hours a week on my day job. And then I would have um, like lunch breaks or whatever to fit in writing because if I didn't, then, you know, as soon as I got home, it was like dinner, homework, all the, like all the family stuff and routines. And I think now it's wild because it's already 2023 and I feel like it was just 2020 sometimes, but um. <clears throat> I guess my point is not having that external pressure of having to deliver for somebody else, like with my day job, right? It's it's very much more relaxed now because I'm part-time and mostly from home and I can deliver when it's good for me. And sometimes my brain will be like, well, maybe tomorrow is good for you. <laughs> And then so the time management has shifted to where I'm the one in charge, as opposed to like Fallon, what you're saying when school's in and everything like I need that external pressure of having to do something for somebody else. But then when I have these big gaps of time where I'm in charge, it's very difficult for me to be productive in those moments and also my brain gets stuck on like okay well you have an hour um but then you have to go like you have an appointment or you have to go pick up or you have to go into the office and so it's like well you might as well just sit here for an hour because you're not going to be able to get anything like big done so it's it's like this brain transition of it's just it's weird it's weird and it's I don't have an answer either I think maybe just day by day and then kind of like acknowledging what we want I'm not sure <laughs> it's definitely hard because I quit my day job in June last year and so for a while I kept you know trying to practice self-compassion I was like okay yes, well, this is a yeah. big change so it's okay that you can't get much work done and now it's like been more than a year of writing full-time and I no longer have that excuse <laughs> um but I, I completely relate to what you're saying too about like having, you know, one hour left to work before you have to go do something. It's like, well, <laughs> I can't. Or, you know, I try to work like or write in sort of like a nine to five schedule just to give myself any amount of structure. Mm-hmm. And if it's like 3 p.m. and I haven't gotten much done yet, I'm just like, 
Well, it's, now it's 3 p.m. And like, so it's almost five. So I'll do it tomorrow. I'm the same way. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, I also think though, still grace because we're coming and especially coming like off of your full-time job. Like, I mean, I think capitalism is at play too. Like our productivity doesn't have to look the same as like a capitalist environment, right? Where we're constantly like turning stuff in and like machining it, you know? Well, I think there's still an element of that when you're under yeah. contract, like where, this is true. <laughs> like, okay, like your edits are due in two weeks, so bang them out. Um, or right now I'm working on books that are like the second book in a contract. And so there is some pressure to get it done. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I do like about this compared to my day job is that I can, to a greater extent, do things as I want to do them. So like in my day job, there was like an enforced nine to five to the point that it was like, even if you were the kind of person who wanted to sleep in or who yes. wanted to only work in the afternoons or even like work outside of the home, you couldn't because you had to be there. You had to be ready to be on a Zoom at a moment's notice. You had to turn things in and like get told by your boss, okay, well, we need this by tomorrow at 3.30. Um, whereas now it can be like, okay, well, I need this by April and I can't work on it right now because my kid's having a meltdown or I can't work on it right now because I have a migraine and that's fine. I don't have to take a sick day. I can just be like, all right, well, I won't then. And that's pretty nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You have to sort of like learn how to be flexible when Mm -hmm. you're used to being in a more structured schedule. Like I used to be a teacher. Um, and when I left teaching I went into wedding planning. Well, I was always, always a wedding planner, but I moved into doing that full time. And that is super random because you're just, you know, you're working on the weekends a lot or you're answering phone calls, but it's like in the evening, like not necessarily during the day. And so going from you know, every day I was at school from seven to three. And now all of a sudden I have nothing to do with my days. Like that was an interesting transition for me. And it, it took, it took a long time to like get to a place where I felt like really solid in my schedule. Um, but the key for me has always been lists. Like I'm a big list person. Like my, I have like a daily to-do list and like, that's what really helps to keep me structured. I, I would be lost without that. <laughs> you saying this literally just reminded me that I too have a to-do list for today and I have one thing on it that I have not done. So thank you because <laughs> I need to go and do that thing. And also a use for notebooks. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <there you> go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like um, it's so funny. Like before we started recording, I was talking to my husband and I was like, I have so many like writing related things to do this week that I don't actually have time for any writing. And he was like, yeah, I think that means that you're an author. And I was like, (laughs) well, I guess that's the case, but it is like, I don't feel like there's a right answer, um, you know, with like the time management question, because it is, it's like some weeks I'm not going to get any writing done because I'm doing podcasts or I am, you know, going to events or doing these other things. Um, and it just, 
it feels tricky sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to sit down to write in this half an hour because if I like really get rolling and then I'm going to have to stop. Like, I hate that. Like, I hate that feeling when you're like on a roll and you're like really in the zone. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, got to go do some real thing now. Um, and so I try to avoid that. And sometimes that means that I just don't write for a while and it feels weird. I hate that feeling. Like I encountered the main problem with this yesterday where I had been on a roll and then I had stopped and I came back to it. I opened it up and I didn't remember where I was going to the scene. Like I knew that I was going somewhere really cool because I was so excited about it the previous time I was writing. And then I had to put it down. I was like, all right, well, like, I don't know what happens next. I don't remember. Um, I guess I'll just pick up where I left off and see where it goes now. But it never feels as good. Frustrating. It's the worst. Um, So I guess we can draw the conclusion that time management sucks and we all hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Time management is hard for everyone. It is. It is. Especially just with so many things needing our time and pulling at our time. It's like sometimes there are just days where we have to be like, you know what, this is what I can do today and that's okay. Yep, exactly. There you go. That's a good place to, some days you just have to do what you can do. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. Okay. I was going to say something that doesn't suck and we don't hate it (laughs) is Barbie, which we. (laughs) A plus segue. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) all obsessed with I still have only seen it once and I really need to go see it again because I feel like I haven't like fully absorbed the greatness Mm. um but please tell us all of your thoughts about Barbie my thoughts are just like mostly incoherent yelling (laughs) I loved it I loved it for plot reasons for character reasons for aesthetic reasons I also have only seen it once and want to drag everyone I know to see it. And I am perfectly aware that there are a lot of like really smart people giving really good, really hot takes about like the meaning behind it and the messages. But for me, I'm just like, wow, this was so fun. Barbie was cute. I loved her outfits. Ken was hilarious. I want to watch this again. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And that's totally valid. It makes me want to go back and play with Barbies. I remember, like, that I used to collect, like, the Generation Girl Barbies, which were all supposed to be college students at, like, an art school. And then I also collected, like, all of the ones that were dressed in, like, various traditional cultural dresses. And honestly, I am an adult. And still, when it's a holiday and I see the wrapped presents for me, I get disappointed when I don't see one that's, like, the shape of the little Barbie <laughs> boxes that they used for the international Barbies. Like, to this day, I'm just like, oh, I didn't get a Barbie. I hope you get one this year. Yes. <laughs> I, ho- I need to just tell people that I want a Barbie. <laughs> like, I, just, I want a Barbie. Like, assuming that people know that yes. that's my favorite gift to receive, and they do not know. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of people are going to get Barbies this year. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That will be good. I just saw on Instagram this morning that Mattel is making the uh, Mojo Dojo Casa Ken. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and it's like full with like the, with the fur coat, <laughs> everything. <laughs> oh, 
I'm like, you know, I might need to break down and get this one. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. <laughs> because Which all is- I all I can picture is him leading the charge back into the Barbie Dreamhouse residential street doing the air horse like <laughs> Yeah, it just brings me so much joy. I just like, you know, I say what you will about capitalism, and I can say a lot about capitalism. Yes. But <laughs> it's fair. simply genius, like what Mattel did. Like, one, making fun of themselves, but in an endearing way where they still seem kind of relatable and cool. Um, and like also <laughs> just having an entire movie with Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling that's just marketing themselves and marketing their product. And ensuring that not only are people going to go and buy these dolls, but like on Instagram today, I was advertised that there is now a Ruggable X Barbie crossover. Yep. Welcome that that just says Barbie on it. And I feel like that to me was always like, we truly are in the end stage of capitalism. I can get a Barbie welcome mat. (laughs) I mean, their licensing deals must be just out of control right now. Imagine yeah. being the Mattel heiress for the Mattel heir. Good for that. I don't know if that is a person. I'm assuming they've gone public at this point, but like, yeah. Imagine. I know, right? Oh my God. Also, I'm assuming the-, the CEO is actually a male. I don't know who the CEO is, but I'm assuming since they had their all male board of directors <laughs> in the movie. Well, I'm definitely going to look this up. Oh, God. But, like, you know, Barbie had, like, not to get too, like, in deep, but Barbie did have a very special way of communicating, like, highlighting what the issue and also making you laugh about it. Like, fuck it. <laughs> this really does suck. Um, like, what did Will Ferrell say? He's like, we had, we had a female, you know employee here 10 years ago (laughs) very forward thinking like or something like that I don't know if you remember that speech but it was hilarious and just like being able to laugh at it but also acknowledge like yeah that's shitty it I don't know it was like this very comforting space to be in and it's so funny because my daughter didn't have the same experience with the movie as I did like I'm fully obsessed with it on the radio the other day they played Ryan Gosling singing push and I laughed for 10 minutes straight to the point where my daughter recorded me and sent it to all of our family. <laughs> and she's like, what is with you in this movie? I'm like, I think I'm just their very target audience. Like it, all the things in the movie were like, yep, yep, yep. And she just hasn't lived long enough <laughs> to experience like uh, all of the meaning of it, you know, like, like the depression Barbie, please. Like, Pride and Prejudice. I was like, I have never felt more seen and also <laughs> able to laugh about it. Like That movie is very special. I also loved how, like, the middle-aged mom was yeah. the main character. Yeah. Like, they set it up where you're like, oh, it's like the teen girl. Like, it is in every movie. And it was like, nah, it's this, like, I don't even know how old she is. Like, 45-year-old lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so good. And just the aesthetic, aesthetic alone. It's like, I've never wanted to just paint my house pink before. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, I I remember the joy of it. Like, 
there's something about the film and like you were saying how it made you want to kind of reconnect with Barbie and the idea of play that maybe we have sort of forgotten as adults and be like and and just doing what you want like oh yeah this is my house I do make my own money what if I painted my wall pink who's gonna stop me you know no (laughs) that's a great point I have been wanting to paint my bedroom walls for a long time and I'm already like even before this movie came out I was already in my hot pink era partly I think because of like my book cover being barbie pink yeah oh your book cover is there's gonna be so much more pink merchandise and paraphernalia and I'm going to collect all of it yeah yeah yes I think like one of my favorite parts of the movie is just in the beginning when they're all like winning their awards (laughs) and they're just like yes thank you I totally deserve this and I was just (laughs) like that is just so Mm -hmm. amazing because as women in particular I feel like whenever you're given accolades for anything the expected reaction is for you to just be like oh you know so many other people helped me get here or you know like I don't feel like I really deserve this and I just like my goal is to go into the Barbie mindset of like yeah I fucking deserve this (laughs) thank you (laughs) I think you're thinking author Barbie yeah, yeah. She, when she wins her, her Nobel Prize. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. I worked hard. I deserve this. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, love it. It's just so many gems. I know. So many gems. I was going to say, I was going to go for another good segue, but I don't think this is a good one. <laughs> um, I believe We in also you. have, thank you, so many gems in the uh, Netflix reality TV landscape which really uh i was listening to another podcast this morning and they were like you know normally this is the time of year when like all of our scripted shows would be coming back with like new episodes Mm. obviously that's not happening because we're still in the midst of the strikes so i'm like so reality tv is really gonna have to like keep us going for probably quite some time is it not i'm sorry is that not are they not striking for reality tv it's a no. different yeah they reality tv as far as i know they don't have a union they probably should uh um, okay yeah so it's that. just this just the scripted series that are that are not in production right now okay um but we have talked a lot on this show about love is blind and i know you are a fan of as well um and also the ultimatum, which, okay, I haven't gotten into the ultimatum because I feel like the stakes are maybe a little too real so and too cruel. high for me. <laughs> it just feels so awful. But um, I know you're a fan. So tell us all about your your love for these shows. So, okay. So on the stakes of the ultimatum point, I hear you. So I think that the way that I've always thought about it, it's like, if they're coming on this yeah. show, in my opinion, they're already not getting married. True. So That's a good point. The question is just like, who do they hook up with on their road to divorce? Or okay, road That's to fair. <laughs> that's fair. I also um, need I to watch the... Shouldn't be laughing at? I know. I also need to watch real life. Sorry. That's fine. No, I'm excited to watch the queer season. I think... When did it? It just came out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch that It's one. really good. And 
I will say that one, like, maybe seems, I don't know if it seems higher stakes or if it's just more inherently interesting to me because it's queer or Mm -hmm. because, like, every, like, all reality TV shows should do this. Like, everyone's an option, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you're not going to end up with that person because that person's the sex that you're not interested in. Um, So I loved that about it. I thought all the characters were more interesting, again, like, for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. It's just great. I think you should watch it. And one thing I like about reality TV that, again, like, I feel bad for the actual participants in it because of this, but I love that, like, there's always a villain and there's mm. always like a hero, but I love rooting for the villain to yes. a certain degree. Um, I feel like my partner is like less aware about these edits because there's a lot of like, oh man, like someone says a psychopath. Don't you think someone says a psychopath? I'm now going to watch all these YouTube videos that are trying to diagnose X or Y with narcissism. Whereas for <laughs> me, I'm like, I don't know. This seems like they got a terrible edit, but it sure is entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is amazing how the producers, you can very much tell like when it's been edited to portray like a certain storyline. Right. Well, I feel like we all saw that on the last season of Love is Blind too, with like, I don't know, so much stuff coming out in like the later follow-up reunion episodes or like on social media after that, where it's like, oh, like maybe all of this was portrayed completely incorrectly. Or at least that there's more nuance to it than the producers presented us with. Yes. I, um, they did, uh, like the love is blind, the latest season, this came out like a couple months ago, but they did like the follow-up, like post reunion. It's been like six months or whatever, or it's been a year since the weddings or, you know, there, like there was some kind of like, they all got together for like a party or an event for that. Um, And I was just like, so surprised to see that none of them seemed to take into account any of the information that had come out after the show. And I was like, I know you all have seen it at this point because it's been months, but yet they were still just going on as if like, none of that existed and i it was very strange and it was very weird to watch them all because i mean it was like they were still treating cole as if he was like the absolute worst human being on the planet and i was like mm-hmm. are we I feel like maybe there's two ex- potential explanations for this the first Ooh. one is like maybe i'm cynical but <laughs> i feel like it's entirely possible that they filmed that like two months after the filming that's the original true. thing and then just pretended that it was six months later mm-hmm. okay that's um, very possible the second is like i don't know maybe there's some like in-group out-group thinking going on here because it did seem like even on the original reunion show that there was like okay this entire group of people thinks one thing or are listening to one person and this yeah. whole group of people are listening to a different person and this whole group of people won't commit because they don't want to piss off either of those groups that's so true Mm -hmm. that's so true yeah i mean the whole thing is really just a fascinating study into like human behavior and just sociology and how we interact with each other it's um i find it fascinating 
Me too. I mean, there's some part of me that wants to go on a reality show, but then like the other 99% of me is like, that's a terrible idea. But imagine <laughs> being on the circle. The circle is so cool. <laughs> I feel like I would, well, first of all, I would never get cast on any reality TV show because I would be like, yeah, I'm going to be the person at the party, like sitting in the corner and not talking to anyone. They're going to be like, yeah, that's exactly what we don't want. <laughs> um, that would be me too. It's like everyone's supposed to be causing drama and I would be like, well, I'm reading fan fiction. I'm like, everyone's supposed to be hot and I would be like in my sweatpants. All of us just like taking notes Same. in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Get <Yeah>. a snuggie. <laughs> well, there's always that one character who's just like completely self-aware it's just like, wow, this is all so stupid. Or like, did you see like that drama over there? Can you believe that's happening? Anyway. See, they need us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I think that ties in pretty neatly too. I mean, we mentioned in your bio that you have a PhD in psychology, which I just find like A, very impressive, mm -hmm. but B, also just like probably something that is so <clears throat> influential in your writing is just like being able to really dig into the brain of uh, your characters. Like, so is that something that you use a lot when you're writing? Um, I would say yes and no. So like, I definitely think about it a lot with character development, um, like both with developing like the character flaws, but also thinking about like, I don't know, like, how would certain interactions play out in real life given people's flaws or given, like, common logical fallacies that, like, everyone falls prey to, including people who are, like, they've done studies of people who are aware of these fallacies, even people who are experts in them, like, knowing about them doesn't prevent you from engaging in them. So, like, mm. um, I remember one professor I had who said like everything in psychology comes down to cognitive dissonance or priming. And I think about that so much when I'm writing, especially cognitive dissonance, because I feel like that's like already a conflict. And so seeing these things play out, like in the electric air in particular, uh, one of the characters knows damn well what the truth is about something, but he doesn't want that truth to be true. And so in cognitive dissonance, it's like, hmm. okay, if you hold, like, one belief that you know is true, but you're doing a behavior that's in conflict with that, you either have to choose, like, the belief or the behavior, and usually people change the belief to match the behavior, not the other way around. And so, hmm. like, just kind of having my characters do that, where it's like, okay, if I know that smoking is bad for your health, but I want to smoke, you start thinking, like, well, maybe smoking is not that bad. As opposed to, like, I should quit smoking. Or so-and-so smoked their whole life and they live to be 95, so it can't be that bad. Right. <laughs> like, kind of like when you have a kid and, you know, the like your parents, the grandparents are all like, well, in my day, we had crib bumpers and let our kids sleep on, like, water beds and... <laughs> You lived, you're like, yeah, I, mean, I guess, but lots of kids didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's so fascinating. Wow. I'm thinking about how many ways I do that on a day-to-day -day basis with, like, different things in my life, and I don't even, I'm not even aware of it. Yeah. Like, one of the ones that I think that I've been doing a lot of lately is thinking, like, okay, I know for a fact 
that social media does not impact book sales like mm. at all unless for some reason you're like going viral on TikTok or something like that. <laughs> but it makes me feel like I'm doing something to post on Instagram or threads or what have you. So I start telling myself, well, maybe I'm the exception. Maybe like I will say something or post something that makes enough people decide like, oh, this person's interesting or this book sounds interesting. So I wasn't going to buy it, but now I will. As opposed to thinking like, well, maybe I should stop posting. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. Because we've, we've had this conversation on the podcast several times now where we talk about how what you do as an author literally will not impact your sales in any significant way whatsoever. And yet we still keep doing it. Well, it's spending like, a lot of time on it. I feel like the key, or at least what I'm trying to do to challenge the cognitive dissonance for myself, taking social media for an example is being like, okay, but do I enjoy doing it? Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent I do. So okay, I can keep doing it, but I shouldn't be doing it because I think that it's going to move the needle on sales. I should just do it because I like it. Yeah. Or it's fun to interact with readers or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's nice to talk to other authors or see like what they're doing. Um, Yeah. I've been trying to lately give myself a little bit more flexibility because I used to put myself on like a really strict posting schedule. Like, you know, you know, you need to post like at least four times a week, like in order to keep your visibility up or whatever. Mm. And so now I'm just like, if I don't have something to post, then I, I don't need to post. Like, it's okay. Like I don't have to like force it, you know? Definitely. Like, I feel like I post way more often on like the three months leading up to a new book release, but it's not because I think that that's going to matter. It's because my publisher is sitting over here like, so hey. here's all this stuff. <laughs> here are all these like graphics that you need to share. Here's like, just like, all right, well, yeah. here I am then, I guess. <laughs> oh, we all feel that. Also, I think okay. like it's entered my brain before like, oh, well, you shouldn't post this now because it's not a good time of day for the algorithm and I've literally been like well but I want to post it now so I'm going to (laughs) like that kind of thinking yeah like I don't I post in the morning I don't do that because it's good for the algorithm I have no idea what's good for the algorithm yeah but (laughs) I post it then because then it's out of my way and I don't want to spend the rest of the day thinking about like yep should I post or like, again, like, I feel like I have to post right now because I'm in a promo cycle. So it's like, I can just be done with that. I can be done with that part of my day. And it helps me not procrastinate on writing. Cause I feel like if I put off, mm. like, I don't know, posting on Instagram or like writing a newsletter too late, then I start thinking, oh, well, I need to work on that because that's a task that matters. Mm. Totally doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh, so true. All right. I feel like I could continue that conversation for a very long time, but um, we will not take up your entire day. (laughs) Um, Are you able to tell us a little bit about what you are working on next? Yeah. So um, I have two main projects that I'm working on right now. I have, and they're both, like I mentioned earlier, second books and existing deals. So I have my next adult romance. Um, And again, all of this is kind of up for change because it depends on what my editors think about these projects. But right now what I'm writing is a book about these two rival piano students. Um, 
who are both going to be participating in the same big deal competition in two months. And it's like they end up getting thrown together by circumstance, despite hating each other and kind of have to work together and fall in love. And the other book that I'm writing is called The Girl That Time Forgot. And it's basically like a time travel fantasy slash it's got a romantic arc, obviously, because I love that. Um, and it's about this girl who um, is one of these like five magic users who were trained in this you know dying lost art of a specific kind of magic. And she realizes that all of the other people in this group have committed a murder and she can stop them from killing any more people, but it kind of ends up with her like being thrown out of time and moving back and forth somewhat uncontrollably along the timeline, trying to figure out how to stop it. Um, but also like there's a girl in the future that she falls in love with, but every time she's trying to stop this future from coming to pass, either like it ends up being worse or the girl she loves either never existed or has died. So like, how do you prevent this horrible future, but also keep the girl you love? So low on angst. Low on angst. <laughs> Completely happy, fluffy, what we would say in fan fiction, curtains fic. Oh my god. Okay, um, well, those both sound amazing. amazing. <laughs> so good. Um, we will be on the lookout for those. Um, so last thing before we let you go, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, so I have a website, which is victorialeewrites.com. And then I am on Instagram, threads, blue sky, whatever, as so said Victoria. Ooh, I like that. That's I cute too. name. Yeah, love that one. All right. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I feel like we hit all the depths. Like we talked about reality TV, but also psychology. And uh, we appreciate you being along for the ride. I had such a fun time. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. All right. And thank you guys for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore k k a e on all social media platforms and you can find me fallon ballard at fallon ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media if you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to zachary kibby and matt ballard for our amazing theme song thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time